Hello. Before we get started on today's episode, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's listened to any of our episodes of this podcast. This podcast just hit 106 listens across all the platforms. So if you've listened to just one of our episodes, thank you for doing that. I greatly appreciate you and I greatly appreciate taking the time to listen to our podcast and the co-hosts appreciate you as well. And secondly, to anyone who's new to this podcast, we release episodes on a weekly basis every Wednesday. So you can expect a new episode every Wednesday. Speaking of new episodes, here's one now. Enjoy. Warning. The following content occasionally contains adult themes and language, which is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome back to Cinematic Rewind. Joining me today are my usual co-host, Cookie and Regent. How are you both doing this evening? Good morning, San Diego. I'm Ron Burgundy? (laughs) (laughs) Apparently both of you will read whatever's on the teleprompter. 60% of time works every time. I was going to say what he said, (laughs) but we won't start there. (laughs) Apparently you're just stealing the words right out of his mouth, so... I mean, he still still thoughts on my head, so might as well return the favor. True. True that. Scotchy scotch. Down in my belly. If you can't tell, listeners at home, we are going to be talking about the 2004 movie Anchorman starring Will Ferrell. Oh, you have to add the rest. He's a legend. Oh, right, 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 right. Anchorman, the legend of Ron Burgundy. Who can forget that? This movie has a Rotten Tomato score of 67 and a 7.2 on IMDb. It was released on July 9th, 2004, and it was directed by Adam McKay. I have a couple questions for you guys here. When did you guys first watch this? Did you guys watch it when it first came out or later down the line? Well, I'll start. When the movie first came out, can't remember why I didn't watch too many Will Ferrell movies. My parents let me watch Saturday Night Live. That's where I knew Will Ferrell from. And he was already coming out with like some very funny movies and especially SNL were dropping movies. And it kind of transitioned to starting where he had his own movies outside of SNL. I can't remember why we didn't watch that one because we watched The Night at the Roxbury's, for example. Like I saw that. We didn't see that one. It was actually later on in college. I was in college around from 06 to 08. I didn't have cable. So I watched anything and everything that was on DVD. So Anger Man definitely showed up on my list, and that's when I had watched it, and it was awesome. It, it, this is actually kind of interesting. So that was about two years because it came out in 04. So that was two years. I didn't know how mature it was. Not saying it's a mature movie, but from all the commercials and so forth, you, you kind of understand what I'm saying, like how raunchy of a film it was going to be or not. And I think that's why my parents probably didn't come up to want to watch it because the commercials definitely kind of touched in those bases and so forth of being immature and things like that. And my parents were not into raunchy films. Gotcha. What about you, Regent? 
Mine was kind of similar to Cookie's experience. Like, I grew up watching Will Ferrell's work on Saturday Night Live, so I was familiar with the type of person he was, the comedy, and how his characters were developed. I mean, come on, he was Harry Carey, he voiced Alex Trebek, rest in peace. He's had so many integral characters in the golden years of SNL for myself and fellow viewers. Now, this particular movie in question, I actually didn't watch until I was in college, due to the fact that some of my closest friends to this day were very insistent of us all just get together one night with, like, scotch, whiskey, and brandy, obviously of legal age, of course, to watch this movie and just have, you know, like, laughing and have a good night of just watching a good movie together as a group. Specifically, this movie would be a really enjoyable movie when you're watching with, like, a group of friends. I wouldn't call it, like, one you would sit by yourself with, like, your own drink and just let it roll through a cinema, but it's a really good, funny movie from Will Ferrell's catalog, and honestly, it's one of his better movies in his repertoire that he offers. That's my kind of exposure with the movie in question. Okay. My exposure of this particular movie is literally this podcast. I watched it just so we could make an episode on it because I had never seen it before. And my thoughts on it were it's sort of like a Monty Python movie where if you watch it by yourself, it's not too enjoyable. Monty Python and this are more enjoyable to quote than they are to watch. And that's sort of my take on it. Now, I am a fan of some of Will Ferrell's work, but a lot of it, no. It's an enjoyable film for what it is. It's not something I would watch again, though. I think that's a fair analysis of the film, especially when you look at common denominator here, which is watching it with friends. I can definitely agree. I recently rewatched it again. I think I've watched it about three or four times altogether. And on this recent viewing, watching it by myself, I was kind of already quoting it to myself. And that's kind of helped make the film more enjoyable to watch. I don't think it's a bad film. I do enjoy it. But it's definitely not high on my list of comedy. And it's not high on my list of Will Ferrell movies that I would want to rewatch over and over. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's not a bad movie. I don't think in today's standards it would hold up nearly as well just due to some of the content in there. If it were released today, it, get, it would get boycotted, let's be real. That's also because they were banking on the tropes of the years of which the, the movie itself was being portrayed in. They're trying to show what that time was like in that particular work industry. I uh, got something interesting that we brought up. Be nice if we can dive into. It's interesting when you have a film that you're obviously setting it within a certain time frame and in some ways it kind of does reflect that time frame even though it's being kind of a parody joke fest and so forth say this is the first time it's released now 2020 2021 we released this movie why would it be worse now versus in 2004 even though it's set in the same time period when it comes to the film if a movie was released today, one of the instances I'm going to use is when I think it's Champ touches Corning Stone. When Champ, you know, is trying to flirt with her for the first time, touches her breast, that would not fly today. I think in today's standards, they would use more simple ways to show sexism and show discrimination against, you know, women during the time. They would use different methods of sh showing that women were discriminated in the workplace, that they were treated differently. I just don't think that would work today versus back then. I see your point. I would disagree. I would think maybe it wouldn't be as successful because of the climate. I can definitely understand about that. I can agree with that. But this is where the artist in me comes out, which is the unfortunate part where the world limits your, your ideas, your creativity. This film is purposely making fun of the messed up stuff. They're not trying to boast about it. It's not like, or at least you know, when I look at the film, it doesn't feel like it's trying to boast, hey, he did try to touch her breast. Like, let's promote that. Like, hey, this is cool. No, it was pointing how back then, if something like that did happen, 
she had to be professional, which is kind of funny that we're diving into a comedy, but she she was still showcasing how professional she was despite something stupid like that, which I 100% believe has happened in some form, especially during that time period. I think something like this may already be out because it is a parody, but I feel I can definitely agree with you. I would think what happens is it would probably end up either going straight to DVD first and not mm-hmm. making it into the theaters or it would get bashed. But I, I don't think they would remove it because I feel like that cuts out so much comedy. If you take out something like that, where it's like they don't do the accidental physical touch or the inappropriate words and so forth. Or it, you were in that scene where they did the insults where they were muted, but they were insulting each other. And Will mm-hmm. Ferrell was like, I'll punch you in the ovaries. Yeah, like that definitely wouldn't fly now. But I could see them still having that joke like that joke just wouldn't hit as hard if they didn't have that. Yeah, I can agree that it's set in a time period and they're sort of making fun of it. They're not endorsing any of these behaviors. They're making fun of it, being like, look how bad this is. But also with this twist, look how we can spin it into a comedy. Look how we can turn it into a joke and laugh about it together which I can see that and I understand it. I just don't know if that type of humor is particularly for me. Yeah. It'd be very interesting to see if that something like that would pass now. Mm-hmm. I, I get the circumstances of, you know, the culture and the world around us and how things have changed in those 17 years since the movie has been released. But quite frankly, if it was released today outside of that, I don't think it would be as popular as like cookie mentioned, but it comes down really to the fact that right now, the better part of a decade, Wolf Ferrell hasn't really released a genuinely amazing movie per se. And this has come from the person who's watched like Eurovision on Netflix who's watched both Daddy's Homes. I've watched The Other Guys. The Second Anchorman. The Other Guys was right at 2010. That was probably, that and Megamind are the last two good movies he was in. Outside of that, he's just been in like this medium of a, well, in the Lego movie, but he wasn't the main person. He was just more of a secondary character in both Lego movies. So don't come at me with that. But the other movies, they just, didn't do so hot in the box office in terms of reviews and financially. I think if you were to release this now with these movies and that kind of trend, people are, would just perceive it as a narrow Will Ferrell movie. Whereas if you look at when it was released, it was in the boon of Will Ferrell because the previous movie to Anchorman was Elf. And then he did The Producers, a little bit of a dip when it came to the Bewitched movie and Kicking and Screaming. I forgot he was in Stranger Than Fiction. Yep, that was a good one. And then he spiked again with Todd Degan Knight's Curious George. Blades of Glory was okay. Semi-Pro, I, I hated that movie. Don't you, you stop that. That is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sorry, Rad. If, if you love Downtown Brown, cool, I'm go with it. But there's certain parts of the movie that were funny, and the rest of it's like, okay, I know what he's going for here. Step Brothers was kind of like his redemption from that, and the other guys was there. And then after that, it's kind of just, I don't want to say flatline, but there's just a little bit of a pulse there that he's still kind of funny in movies. I kind of miss him going back to stand-up and actually doing more SNL-based stuff or Funny or Die, which that was his in-between work. So like, wanting to see more of that type of stuff would be fun again. Well, Regent, I got a question for you because you actually brought something up that's interesting. Do you feel they got away with some of the material because they were riding off of Will Ferrell's success? Actually, a lot of the stuff with, like, even with Funny or Die was based off the success of Will Ferrell. If anyone out there has watched the apartment one with the landlord, the landlord video, yeah, um, that, that was absolutely hysterical with Adam McKay's daughter, Pearl, yelling at him, where's my money? And then like calling him names and like saying she's drunk and holding a bottle, an empty bottle of yingling, things like that. Oh, yeah. 
there's the other one where she's uh, playing good cop, bad cop. She's like, I'm going to beat your butt and picks up a phone book. And this is when Wolf Earl had his semi-pro afro. He's like, don't you dare. And all of a sudden you see a book just back and forth for easily about 10 to 15 frames smacking him around. And he's like, you're a monster. And she's like, I know. <laughs> you tell the truth now. And then like he just he's like, okay, I'll spill it. He's like, I knew I'd make you talk. Like like things like that are kind of the humor, humor stuff I missed from Farrell's like comedy days. And that's kind of what I'm trying to figure out is like, or get your opinion on is getting away with like inappropriate stuff. Like does his success and his humor overrides the inappropriateness of a joke? That's a double edged sword because when those movies came out, yes, given the circumstance of the entertainment behind it, but the morality side of it now in this generation, no, I think a lot of people may have gotten away with it or let it slide because, Oh, it's Will Ferrell movie. Oh, it's the expectation coming from him. But I think that nowadays, pretty sure he's come to terms with this stuff. There should be more of a standard when it comes to comedy in a movie or how to present a comedy without having to go down the past that decades ago were considered the norm when they're not, not anymore, nor should they be. It comes down to the growth of a performer and how much they recognize that their previous stuff was funny, their previous stuff was wrong, and wanting to change it to him at the end of the day. I would say a lot of Wills Farrell's previous stuff, which I haven't seen, but when I have, it does seem to be riding off of his success. And they do get away with a lot. And now that you've said that, Cookie, it does have me thinking, did they get away with that because of Will Farrell? It was very interesting. When I think about society, we had issues with certain things. Don't get me wrong. Every decade, society is more cautious and careful about things. It's not like back in the early 2000s, there was no respect for women or anything like that. That still was inappropriate with a lot of stuff in the film. Yeah, after having this conversation, it's interesting to think about is could this movie work nowadays if it was a different cast? Yeah, and who would you put in this movie? That's actually a question. Let's do that. So I'll go with you first, Regent. If you had to remake this movie now with today's standards, who would you cast in this movie of, you know, the main four and Cornerstone? So Brick, I would still keep Steve Carell. That's definitely not a problem there. He was perfect for that role. Yes. Sorry, James Spader. You, you overdid it. That's what you get. Oh, man. I can't remember. The other one was David Conkner, who I love some of his work. Honestly, I probably would switch him out for Rob Cordry because Steve Carell and him uh, with their relationship from The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, working the, you know, back hand in hand and being writers so they can easily play off one another. I think Paul Rudd, I probably would keep the same. Mm -hmm. Paul Rudd has that charm about him and he's had that since when he was in Halloween 3. I think it's The Return of Michael Myers, or The Curse of Michael Myers. It's one of those two names. That was his like film debut, but it was Paul Stephen Rudd, not Paul Rudd. Just fun fact. Will Ferrell, oof. You have to replace him. Man. This is the one you have to replace. I know. <laughs> I know. That's the problem. I think I would flip <laughs> it between Jim Carrey or oof, I probably would say John Stewart. Oh. And now what about Cornerstone? Oof. Honestly, probably would be a toss up between Reese Witherspoon or Renee Zellweger okay. based on what they were going for out of, that, out of the character. Hmm. What about you, Cookie? Hmm. This one is tough. I would say first off, I would kind of lean on SNL because I feel like it definitely reflects a lot of their comedy. I would kind of look through in the past 10 years of some of their staff. And the first one I thought of was Bill Hader. Yes. I don't yes, know if y'all know Bill Hader. Yeah. I think he would be phenomenal in that group. I mean, he might actually be good for Ron Burgundy as well. He's done really well in recent years being able to be a leading man. Another one is he actually made a cameo in the film, but this is earlier in his career. Uh, Seth Rogen, mm -hmm. I think he would actually still be good as one of the four. Yeah, He could almost replace Steve Carell's character. 
just kind of just be that dumb idiot, just making whatever, just staring at the camera and stuff like that, having those awkward moments. Mm-hmm. I do have to agree. Paul Rudd is someone that's really hard to replace his character, his acting. It, he just definitely embodies a lot of qualities and balance it really well. So I, I will steal from that from you, Regent. And then for fourth one, Jonah Hill. I feel like he can definitely do some comedies, and this will be a good chance to put him in the spotlight. He fits that kind of raunchy humor anyway. He's done a bunch of movies like mm-hmm. that. But yeah, for a leading man, that one would be tough, but I think Bill Hader for right now. Now for Cornerstone, I was thinking, once again, I'm thinking of from a money-making standpoint too, Margot Robbie, I would have in there. She's good at doing both the comedy aspect, can play like smart and dumb. I could almost kind of picture that, Bill Hader and her. I think I'm going to start with Cornerstone. I think I would go with Lily Collins. I don't know if you guys know who that is. She's done some smaller Netflix stuff, some Netflix originals. She was in To the Bone on Netflix. She also just got her own Netflix original show called Emily in Paris, Horribly Bad and Wicked or something with Zac Efron. Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile. Yes. Uh, Yeah, that's a good movie, too. I'd like to cover that one. She was in Tolkien. Yeah, she was in Tolkien as well. Good movie. But I would use her because she can portray seriousness really well, but she can also be really silly and really kind of dumb humor when she wants to. So I would go with her. For Ron Burgundy, I think I would go with Chris Pratt. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yep. Because he can do that type of humor perfectly, and he still has that bit of charm that Paul Rudd has and he could bring that to screen. I will keep Paul Rudd, so I think that's consistent amongst all of us. I'm going to add Taika Wakati. If I butchered the name, I'm so sorry. He's the director of Thor Ragnarok, Jojo Rabbit, and he's hilarious. His writing is always funny. Now for Chimp, I did want to go with someone who's a bit more stoic but can do comedy as well. So I'm going to do Hemsworth or Matt Damon. Because they can both do comedy and they can do like that tough guy vibe. Oh, yeah, I could definitely see that. You just reminded me when I was thinking earlier, there was a fourth I wanted. Bill Hader was going to be Ron Burgundy. The fourth one was I did want a token black guy in the film. I couldn't think of his name, Mm -hmm. but it's Michael Shea. He does the weekend update. Yeah, weekend update. Thank you. Hate that that I butchered that. But Michael Shea, he's the half of the cast. He's the black guy that's up there, but he's a great comedian. That was already one thing I was thinking when you brought up like a Dreamcast. I was like, yeah, we got to at least have one token black guy in the new studio. I just brought in like Australian people. Sorry. Oh, that's why. Hey, we all have our own dreams, right? Hey, that's true. That's true. Very true. So another question along the similar lines, if you could change one thing about this movie, what would it be? Throw that to you first, Cookie. Definitely the end. Oh my gosh. Here's some trivia for people out there. The movie had well over four hours of content and many things have changed in the script, even leading up to the four hours of content, including that whole final sequence. It was so much content. They ended up making a side film with that part. That was second or third idea for the ending. I don't know. For me, it just didn't just didn't fit with the flow. The humor, yes, but the concept of going to the zoo and then getting dropped in there, it just felt kind of in contrast to the whole build up to the film. Mm-hmm. So let's look at it from a cinematic standpoint. Most of the film was kind of indoors when you think about it. They were always in the newsroom. They were on a date in a restaurant. A lot of stuff was indoors. Even when they were on the road, it was still only for a little bit going on the street. It always felt confined. And I think from a presentation standpoint, I think that's why I kind of felt like a shock if I had to get kind of get philosophical 
philosophical from a cinematic standpoint. They went to the zoo, which was this whole wide open place. I guess I could kind of see it where it's like they're out of their realm their comfort zone but it just didn't feel like it just fit with the flow it just kind of felt like a not a rush ending but kind of an excuse of an ending now what it would change to maybe there was a disaster happening within the newsroom something like that i mean i couldn't really think of an exact one but that's something i probably would have found more cool yeah what about you regent it's been so long since I watched the movie from beginning to end. I really need to go back and rewatch it to f- nitpick a particular scene like, oh, this definitely should change. I would have to say probably the scene after he gets fired and he goes through that whole downspell of depression and everything. It just feels like it's being dragged on and on for maybe five minutes too much longer. I think that could have been trimmed just a little bit. I think that was like him being fired and him looking for Baxter. Mm-hmm. What I would change would be the fight scene between like all these different channel newses. What? What you didn't yes. like about that? The whole thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't like it. Made, at all. I love that whole I thing. thought it was I Venture. thought it was funny. What? You you may you may have killed the man. You're gonna have to lay low for a while. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> see, it's quotable, but was it enjoyable to watch? When you see a trying getting thrown across the screen and a fishing net? Yes. Oh no. <laughs> every time I watch that. How? Oh, this man no. had a grenade, and he's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> he just chasing people with it. See, it's more funny in retrospect, but to watch it, it's it's not. To me, at <laughs> what least, would you change not... it to? What would you change? I would have it be like the slow descent of ratings, and then it'd be like a, a confrontation, but not nearly as widespread as it was. It wouldn't be them going to oh, let's go get new suits. It would be them going to confront a news channel about ratings being stolen because, you know, that fits the theme of the movie. They are always at each other's throats. They're always trying to find excuses to blame each other because number two. Reality would be is Will Ferrell's Burgundy versus uh, Luke Wilson's character. That was pretty much the rivalry in the entire movie. It's just the two of them and their colleagues are just like, yeah, what he said. And then that's... <laughs> kind of the gist of it yeah so i think i would change it to a smaller confrontation because then it makes the end feel a little bit more meaningful especially since it just goes from ha you're number two to a giant fight scene where dude get his arm chopped off guy gets stabbed by a trident to then i have respect for you it's like it, it didn't make sense and if you had had something in the middle to show a confrontation to where he could be a little bit more professional and that's where you see like a glint of respect in the channel two news or whatever. You're trying to bring logic to the table. Look at you. <laughs> I'm just like, I want to enjoy the movie a little bit more as far as a cinematic and watching experience. But that's my fault because I went into it expecting something that the movie wasn't. So I don't know if that's the fault of the movie or myself. Was it the first or the second movie someone was being dragged by a horse? First one. That's the first movie. Okay. I think it was Paul Rudd. Yep. That got dragged. Yeah, it was rough. Mm-hmm. The film that I was speaking of is called Wake Up Ron Burgundy, which I'm going to watch at some point. It has the remaining amount of footage, and they kind of made a spin-off. This movie, was this something you guys often watch with your friends? I know we talked about your guys' first interaction with it. I hear you guys and some of the other people we hang out with quote the movie pretty frequently, but is this something you and your friends talked about in your college days, or did you guys quote this a lot back then? Yeah, 
So in my experience, the answer is a hard yes, but it was also the fact that I was in a men's choral group of roughly 65 guys, and out of that 65, about maybe 20 of us watched that movie. Not at the same time in the same room, but it's like it was me and like my eight core group of my friends in that large group watched it, another group watched it, and then our choral director was a big fan of the movie, and when we had rehearsals, that's all we would do for like a good 15, 20 minutes as to warm up was to quote the movie and just to laugh and get stressed from like the days of school, like off our chest before having a three hour rehearsal. So like that movie was actually cathartic for us for almost a whole year because of how much we would just quote it back and forth and just laugh as a way to break the ice from tension, just things going on in our daily lives. That's awesome. Mine's not as cool as that, but we definitely enjoyed the movie. Uh, in college, like I said earlier, we watched a lot of stuff on dvd and we all kind of like had our own collection and let each other borrow it this movie was definitely one of our quotable ones it wasn't one of our most but it was definitely a well-respected film that we would quote from time to time even when you make like new friends when they were around your age you kind of knew they at least had saw it because it was still a very popular comedy film that was the great thing about that in my circles was that kind of ironic to what region was talking about it was a great way to break the ice I didn't grow up around a lot of people who either watched the movie or quoted it. I did hear quotes here and there, to which now I know exactly where some of them are from. I think T quotes them the most, though. Who is T for our audience out there? T is one of our guests who will be appearing on our Christmas special. I would say, from my experiences before watching Anchorman, I think the most quotable Will Ferrell in his catalog had to be when he was Alex Trebek for Saturday Night Live for Celebrity Jeopardy. Oh, yeah. So one of the thoughts I had while watching this movie and talking about this movie now is Will Ferrell movies from the ones I've seen seem to be more quotable than enjoyable to watch, at least for me. I don't know if you guys have a similar thought process on that. I feel 70% are quotable, 10% you just don't speak about, and then 20% you see his range. He has a few good films that are very heartwarming. It's not meant to be quotable. It's him actually putting that other side of his talent on the forefront. I know Stranger Than Fiction is one of them, but I can't immediately think of the other ones. But I do remember seeing a couple films where I was very impressed. And Regent might actually know which ones I'm talking about. So you're thinking of... Stranger in Fiction, if anything, at least to me from a movie standpoint, I would say producers because that was more musical based and he's not really known for singing. Superstar was just a recurring Saturday Life skit that became a movie. Nat Roxbury was that. Did you even bring up Superstar to the 20% that I spoke of? No, no. It's just it's yeah. just movies that showing range of him, not just forcible comedy. Like him playing like a secondary character, like a sidekick, that he was able to do more with it. There's not really much movies. I'm curious George would be another one, but that was an animated movie, so it was more voice work. Okay, so based off your question, I actually would have to be on the same page as Cookie. It's mostly some of the stuff is quotable. There's a lot of stuff that you just don't talk about because you see it once and it's you forget about it and then there are some genuine good good movies like stranger in fiction to me was a very good range movie elf was a very good range movie at least for what he could present we did a whole episode about that which that'll be in the future there's just not a lot of stuff that's really grabbing my attention right out the gate the, mo- the biggest things are catching me from him are comedy movies like comedy movies and voice work movies mm-hmm. that seems to be his catalog 
Hey, if you're good at it, why not? Hey, yeah. So one of the questions I was going to have for you, Regent, is there anything you want to bring up tech-wise? Really, the biggest things would be like from the fight scene and like some of the sound effects, a soundbar would be more inadequate to play this movie. This isn't a movie that you want to necessarily whip out a home theater system right off the gate. Unless you want to, then you want to do a receiver, two bookshelves, a center speaker, and maybe a subwoofer. But you don't need anything over the top for a movie like this. And I got another good one for you all when it comes to a lot of the, the makings of a couple of interesting, interesting things I found. Most of the crew improved a lot of their scenes, which is pretty phenomenal when you look at the movie for how funny and quotable it is. And it's kind of interesting for me to think about that because like how much was in the script then? Like they just showed up and a lot of their scenes would have 20 to 30 takes because they would just do different, different versions, different responses. It's just interesting to me. I think that's not only pretty cool, but I can't help but think of like comparing it to what the original script was hmm. makes you wonder what is the script for these kind of movies what kind of script do they receive basically just the scene and dialogue like a basic rough outline of where they need the conversation to go for the plot and then they can just be like hey you can riff this if you want to yeah kind of like if you look in the credits when they're insulting each other cornerstone and mm -hmm. Ron Burgundy, that's a good example of that was improv. And you can see the outtakes. But on paper, was that just person A and person B insult each other? Or did they actually have written insults? Just something interesting. And then this one had me rolling. This is definitely like, you'll see it, you can miss it. The restaurant that the women ate at, the Spanish phrase of the restaurant that is titled, someone actually did translate it. It said, we will spit in your food. That's what it directly translates into. Oh, no. Like. That's the kind of humor in these kind of movies I enjoy. Those little things that you would never, ever think of. And someone like, hey, hold up. I know what that means. I think this is going to probably be the biggest kicker for you all is that Amy Poehler was actually in the film, but her scenes were cut. That's what's put in the second film that I spoke of. They had four hours worth of content, so they just cut the movie in half, and she was part of that half. And when I was finding this online, a lot of people found out when it was the 10 year celebration of the film. That's when it finally got word out like, hey, she was actually in the original film and then she got cut into the second piece. The final one I'd, I'd like to point out is most people know that there was a sequel, I think it was 2013, but the original sequel was actually asked, like they submitted it immediately after the first film and it was rejected like really quickly. And I couldn't find out why, but it's just kind of interesting for a successful film. They were like, okay, here's a script for the sequel. Nah, we, we don't want to produce it. And just nothing went past that. Huh. Originally Lionsgate, when they pitched a movie, they actually denounced it because they didn't think Will Ferrell was going to be a star. And then when old school did so well, they're like, okay. So they, they paid an extra $4 million for the script. It took them like nine years though. Oh, sorry, DreamWorks, excuse me, it was DreamWorks that and anti the money. Okay, that makes more sense. Okay, gotcha. I know exactly what you're talking about now. Regent, was there anything you wanted to bring up tech-wise for recommend for people to watch this movie? If you're going to watch this movie, just know that it's a comedy movie. It's, you don't need anything really over the top to present itself in a better form. A really good 3.1 soundbar, a 3-channel with a subwoofer soundbar, maybe a 5-channel for surround. If you're more of a traditional audio enthusiast, then I would do a receiver, the minimum two bookshelf speakers, and a center channel, and you'll be perfectly fine. Stop using TV speakers, please. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> One of the biggest things that annoys me is whenever I have people who come over, my TV set and my sound system are in my bedroom currently because I don't have the space for it anywhere else. And they say, why don't you just use your TV speakers? You don't have the optimized space for these speakers. 
It's like, have you heard TV speakers before? The garbage that is. It's been so many years since I've heard a TV speaker. I don't even know what it sounds like anymore. For those who don't know, when you rip open the back of the TV, obviously you want to do it safely without damaging any of the components inside. Your television speakers, I kid you not, are literally the size of a nickel. For entry to mid-level TVs and higher-end TVs, they're maybe the size of a quarter. So they're really not putting out a lot of wattage. Even your highest-end televisions like the Sony OLEDs and LG OLED and even Samsung's Q90 series... They peak at 60 watts. A soundbar or a receiver speakers will hand over fist, provide more amplification of power and clarity than the TV speakers will. Yes, 1000%. Are there any final notes you guys want to add before we close this episode out? Well, for it being a quotable movie, I want to leave you all with this one last piece. One of the most common quotes from the film is the Black Panther quote. I don't even know if it's Black Panther. I just called it Black Panther. It's I think it's Sex Panther. Yeah, there you go. Sex Panther. The hilarious part I found out was when he goes out there and everyone is just going crazy. Like, what is that smell? It smells horrible. And you hear the guy that yells out, it smells like a turd covered in burnt hair. That was actually Judd Apatow, the director of many films. He was actually his company was produced this film, but that's his cameo in the film is to yell that shit out. <laughs> what a cameo. Yeah. All right. What about you, Regent? Any final notes to add? Just in terms of my opinion of the movie in comparison to his other movies, this is kind of more of his middle to higher end movies. Just from a quotability standpoint, from a longevity or classic standpoint, it comes down to your taste of his comedy. For me, it's kind of, I can watch it again with friends, but I would I probably would not watch it by myself, to be honest. I would probably lean more towards his other works like Old School or even Elf to watch by myself. For me, my final note is the movie does not exactly hold up. I would say some nostalgia going for it, but the biggest thing this movie has going for it is quotability. That's my take on Anchorman. Thank you, Regent and Cookie, for joining us today. Pleasure as always. Same here. All right. Thank you to the listeners for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you would, tell a friend about our podcast if you did enjoy Word of mouth is the best way to spread a podcast, and we would greatly appreciate if you did so. If you enjoyed our content, please give us a rating or like, depending on which platform you are on. And we hope you have a wonderful day. Stay classy, San Diego. Scotchy Scotch.